0: Let's read together God's word, the gospel, Romans 15, as Paul nears the end of this gospel. He shares his missionary vision, zeal, and his missionary plans to finally bring the gospel all the way to Spain. We'll read that entire plan at this time, but verses 1 through 21, and our text verses 8 through 21 of Romans 15, page 1128. Page 1,128. Really explaining why Jews and Gentiles should be united and glorify God with one voice and love and serve one another in spite of secondary differences because Christ shed his blood to gather Jews and Gentiles into one body and for that greater purpose of Christ. We must love one another and serve one another as his body. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. to the circumcised, that is to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. May he bless us and fill us with zeal for the spread of the gospel through it. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says some things here that are rather shocking to my Calvinist ears. Like verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. If I asked you, are you full of goodness? What would you say? Well, yeah. You would feel funny saying that. Somehow that doesn't click with what we've learned about ourselves. But that's what Paul says about the Roman congregation. You're full of goodness. We hope to look at that strange saying next Sunday afternoon with the installation of elders and deacons. You are full of goodness. Full of knowledge to instruct one another. Then he says in verse 17, I have reason to be proud of my work for God it's the word for boast he's just said in Romans 3 where is boasting then it's excluded there's no room for boasting he says in Romans 3 no room for pride and now he says I have reason to boast to to be proud of my work for God Hmm. are you proud of your work for God Again, we would say, I'm not quite comfortable saying that. But we want to see today that Paul's pride in his work glorifies God. Because first, it's Christ's work. Second, it's an offering to God. And third, it's gospel ambition. And when our work for God is Christ's work offered to God out of sincere ambition for the gospel... We can be proud, we should be proud of our work as he says in the next verse of the work Christ is pleased to accomplish through us. But he still says it. I'm proud of my work for God because first of all, let's see that it's Christ's work. So what is this work that Paul has done and that he's proud of? this work done for God. If it wasn't evident, as we were reading this, you weren't listening. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. His work has to been goal through many places, preaching the gospels of the Gentiles and seeing them converted to Christ. That's his work. Many Gentiles through Paul's work. Yes, Christ's work in Paul. But my work, have repented, believed, been saved, been added to the church alongside the Jews. The converted Gentiles are Paul's work. And like a priest, he offers them up to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and love in the name of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, he is saying in this passage, it's Christ's work that's how he starts I myself or he says in verse 8 for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy Christ came to earth as a servant Christ shed his blood Christ rose again Christ ascended to heaven to save, to gather the Gentiles alongside the Jews to God. This is Christ's work that has been given to me as my work. He became a servant to the circumcised. Hmm. To show God's truthfulness, it says. What does that mean? Well, God made a covenant with the circumcised, Abraham and his household, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made a promise to them, through you, Abraham, through your seed, through Jesus who's coming from your line, I'm going to bring blessing, salvation to all nations. And Christ became a servant to that promise God gave to the Jews, that through the seed of Abraham... Salvation would be created and would go out to bring a harvest in from the Gentiles. He's a servant to the circumcised to bring about the promise of the gathering in of the Gentiles so that the circumcised Jews and the Gentiles can be gathered together as the people of God. That's the plan of God's covenant. that's the work of christ and paul knows that his work is done for god and he can be proud of it because it's not really his work it's christ's work that he's doing he's fully confident of that because the whole old testament shouts it and, and he begins to list passages all those passages that it's god's intention end of verse nine that the Gentiles might glorify him for his mercy. Now the Jews read the Old Testament with a veil over their hearts. And they forgot to see that part of it. God made a covenant with them and only for them. They lost sight of the fact that, no, no, no. It's given, made with them so that one day it can include the Gentiles after the seed has come. So that the Gentiles can glorify God for his mercy. And he begins to quote passages. Look at verse 9. It is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Psalm 18. David says, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. And verse 10, again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, with the Jews. Deuteronomy 32. And then verse 11, and again, this is taken from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And once more, Isaiah 11, and again Isaiah says, verse 12 of Romans 15, again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. And that's why what Paul has been saying in Romans 14 and 15 is really coming to a head here. Don't quarrel over opinions. Don't divide over secondary matters like days and diets and drinks and other things that are personal religious convictions, things that don't touch the gospel and don't touch the clear commands of God. Because look at the bigger picture. Remember, rise above yourself and your own personal convictions to what the Christ is doing. That he came to purchase by his blood and gather a people for God through faith in Christ. What a great work he has done in this world. And let's not destroy that work by our own opinions and by the way we use our opinions. That's what he's been saying. And he finishes the argument now really in the rest of chapter 15. And that's always the case, right? If we make whatever the issue is, if we make it about Christ and what he's doing and what pleases him. And if we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. That sort of settles everything, even if we end up continuing to disagree on the secondary matters. Paul's saying that for himself. himself, Even though I've received much criticism and persecution for bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, and eventually it's going to get him arrested, bound in chains, and it's going to get him killed. Even so, he says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Because it's the work that God has been planning from the beginning. He's promised to Abraham and the patriarchs. He he has fulfilled it in Christ. And therefore it brings him much glory. To see the Gentiles glorify God for his mercy. Together with the Jews as one people of God. That brings him glory. You remember how Paul introduced himself at the beginning of the book of Romans. Romans. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then Romans 1, verse 5, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And and this, again, has been in the background of the whole epistle. Christ has come, to bring about the salvation of the nations for obedience, the obedience of faith unto God. It's really what it's all about. And so he gives this beautiful benediction or prayer for the church of Rome. If you look at that, verse 13, Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. My, my prayer for you is that by faith in Jesus, you may be filled with joy. You may be filled with peace. So that you may abound by the Spirit's power in hope. And you say, what hope? And then you've got to go to the last passage. Quoted in verse 12 from Isaiah 11. In him will the Gentiles hope. I want you to abound with joy and peace in that hope created by the Holy Spirit that a hopeless world, Jews and Gentiles alike, all peoples who are right now looking for fulfillment and substitutes and idols and false gods and things that can't really give them any meaning who don't know where to turn, really, that they might put their hope in God. May you abound in that hope for them. It's a missionary hope. And brothers and sisters, we are called to own that hope by faith. Do you believe in Jesus? And have you run to him? as a sinner needing refuge from your sin and from the wrath of God? And have you found joy in Jesus and peace personally? So do you own this hope? And then do we share it? Because it wasn't given to the Jews and it wasn't given to the covenant people today to hoard, but to share so that we might also see the Gentiles Glorify God for his mercy. That we see unbelievers turn to Christ and say, I found hope. I found hope in God. I found mercy. All my sins have been washed away. I have eternal life. My life is now full. Or I could put it this way is Christ's work? your work. Oh, you may not be called to be an apostle. That was a one-generation thing. You may not be called to be a pastor missionary. You may be called to be a school teacher, a trucker, an electrician, a farmer. Whatever you're calling, do you see Christ's work? gather Jews and Gentiles into the community of God through faith in Jesus, do you see that as your work? Then you can be proud of your work done for God. Because that's the work of Christ. Well, let's see, secondly, Paul has good reason to be proud of his work done for God. Because it's an offering to God. Now, notice first in verse 14, Paul is satisfied that the members of the congregation at Rome are full of goodness and able to instruct one another. And again, we hope to focus on that verse next week. But he goes on to say, on some points, I've had to write to you very boldly by way of reminder. On some points, I've had to remind you of your calling. So verse 14 is a kind of an aside. You're full of goodness and able to instruct one another. But you don't always live up to who you are, he's saying, and what you have in Christ and what your calling is. And I see that, he says, especially in the relation between Jews and Gentiles in the congregation. And so I need to remind you what Christ came for. What our calling is. And he gives that calling in verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priesthood of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I need to remind you of our task as the church and of my task as an apostle. And he uses a temple image. I'm a priest offering to God a pleasing aroma. What's the offering I'm bringing? It's a new covenant offering, not a lamb, not a sheaf of wheat, but converted souls, Gentiles. That's my calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. They're the harvest of my ministry, he says. They're an offering, he says, that's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit of regeneration has come to them through the preaching of the gospel and planted Christ crucified and risen from the dead in them. So now Christ lives in them, and through Christ they're acceptable to God. Because Christ lives in them by the Spirit, I can offer them to God, and God considers it a sweet smelling aroma. When I offer to God the souls, the converted souls that He has produced through my work. What a beautiful picture of gospel ministry. And what a beautiful way to work and pray and rejoice. This is true in a special way for an apostle, but it's true for a pastor and an elder and a deacon. We can say, Lord Jesus, work in these lives by my ministry so that I can offer each one to you as a sacrifice of praise. But again, it's true for all you as God's people. Parents, Lord, I want to offer my children to you. The sacrifice to God that they might glorify you for your mercy. Use me for that a Sunday school teacher for his or her students. Lord, use me to work in these lives so that I might offer these lives to you as a sacrifice of praise that these children might glorify you for your mercy. Teen club leaders, cadet leaders, kingdom seeker leaders, school teachers, Again, everyone in his or her calling. Working with coworkers. Praying for them. Showing Christ to them in your work ethic. In your respect for the employer. Your respect for the employee. In your kindness and gentleness. Praying, Lord... I want this soul to be converted to Christ so I can offer him, offer her to you as a sacrifice of praise so that he or she might glorify God for his mercy. Because you know what? Everybody in the new covenant is a priest called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Listen to Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. Listen. Worthy are you to take the scroll, speaking to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Listen. You, Jesus, have ransomed with your blood, a people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And everyone who gets converted by the gospel becomes a kingdom and priests. So now you're converted, you become a priest. And what's your goal? To offer the sacrifice of other unbelievers through your witness for their conversion and offer them up to God because they were purchased with the blood of Christ. What a picture! The blood of Christ made you a priest, so that you could witness and offer up to God those who were purchased with the blood of Christ. It's an elevating view of the ministry, We're priest offerings, offering our lives to God. But it's an elevating view of every Christian's calling. That we go to the lives purchased with his blood. We witness to them. We share the gospel. Then we shape those who are converted and help them and and offer our lives for their well-being. And suddenly life becomes upward and outward. Outward, I want to see your salvation and your growth. And upward, because I want to offer you to God. And then that solves the problem that's going on in the Roman congregation. Of fellow Christians, butting heads. When we take that view, Paul has good reason to be proud of his work. Because it is an offering unto God. It's a bold reminder for us. This bold reminder he gives to the Roman congregation, a bold reminder for us. We have proud to be reason to be proud for our work, of our work for God, when we see the purpose of our lives here as priests, offering to God the people that He has put in our pathway, to be witnesses to them so that everyone who comes to know Christ through our witness, and we might be just one part of that puzzle, but everyone who comes to Christ that has come across our pathway, we offer them up to God as an offering of praise and thanksgiving to him. Lord, what you have done in me and for me, I have shared with him, with her, and I offer that to you out of thankfulness for what you've done for me. Paul says in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So I'm proud of my work. And then he says in the next sentence, I won't speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. My work is Christ's work in me. By word and deed, Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, those were specifically given to the apostles. By the power of the Spirit of God, the one who goes with the gospel, to open people's hearts like God opened Lydia's heart when she heard the word. So that he says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's not proud of himself. But he is proud of what Christ has accomplished through him with signs and wonders and the Spirit's power. It's an amazing story. How could this happen? A man who suffered so many imprisonments, countless beatings, he says, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, dangers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's 2 Corinthians 11. How could this weak, pathetic, badly beaten, bruised, abused figure who got chased, hounded everywhere he went bring the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum? Let's follow the track through the missionary journeys. He went to Syria. And then he went to the Mediterranean Sea, to Cyprus, and again over the sea to Asia Minor, through the provinces of Asia Minor, then across the Aegean Sea to Greece and Macedonia, and then north to Illyricum, which used to be now Yugoslavia, which really brings us right under Romania and Hungary into mainland Europe. How is it possible? Except that Christ is at work. And we see thirdly, Paul has good reason to be proud of his work done for God because it is a gospel ambition. Christ saved Paul through the gospel. And when the gospel grabbed him, he couldn't let it go. And I wonder sometimes if the church in the West is so weak in its missionary zeal because the gospel has not grabbed us very deeply. And then we're willing just to sit on it and not to do much with it. But the gospel grabbed him so deeply that it captured Not only his whole heart, but his whole imagination and his whole being and all his strength. And it became his primary ambition. And we don't need to be apostles for the gospel to be our primary ambition. We just have to be Christians. That's all. Then the gospel becomes the motivating force in your relationship with your kids. And with your parents. And with your neighbors. And your co workers, and your fellow congregation members, and really everybody you meet the person on the phone, the person at the till I want Christ to be magnified in my body, says Paul, whether by my life or by my death. Gospel ambition. And that's what he says in 19b from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then he says in verse 20, and I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, but I build on, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of this, of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, not everybody is called to bring the gospel where it has never been heard. But that was Paul's call. And he resolved that if the gospel had already reached that region, he wasn't going there. Others would carry on that work, evangelists and then elders and deacons and pastors and congregations continuing to share the word in that area. No, he would go to another area. And now you know what his ambition is? He says that in the rest of Romans 15. Now, I've been to Illyricum, hmm, I've put in my time, I'm getting old, I've been so beaten and bruised and battered, I think I'm gonna collect my pension, I'm gonna go vacation at the Black Sea for the rest of my life. Could've done that. Ooh, he says, I wanna go visit you folks at Rome, Encourage you in the gospel, and then from you, I want to go all the way to Spain. Now, we don't know from the Bible that he actually got there, but we know from the early church writings that he got all the way to Spain. And if you see how many seas he had to cross to get there, and how much land, this is an old guy, and I'm sure not very healthy. But he's so filled with a passion for the gospel, for world evangelism, that he can't stop. And you know what drives him? This is most beautiful of all. That passage he quotes, the end of verse 21. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And that's Isaiah 52, and that's the last servant song, the same one that says he was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with Greece. That same passage says, same verse that this verse comes from, says, so he will with his blood sprinkle many nations and kings will open their mouths at him. You know what drives him? You what fills this gospel ambition? Him with gospel ambition. It's the knowledge that Jesus shed His blood for people from every tribe and language and nation. And knowing that, he knows God has His people everywhere. His sheep are scattered throughout all the regions, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth. And I've got to get to Spain. It's his passion. Not to retire out at the Black Sea. But to go out in gospel zeal. And it's the same for us, brothers and sisters. We may not be called to go to Spain. We might be called to stay at home. But we should never lose our zeal for the gospel in the place where God has called us to serve. But being saved by the blood of Christ... That blood should plant in us the ambition to see others saved by the blood of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Oh, God knows who are, who are his. And he will save them. But he calls us to go everywhere and to anyone. And that begins right at home because so many of our loved ones living right around the corner are on their way to hell. They do not know Jesus. They have no hope. And we've got it. We've got it. Christ for the world we sing. The world to Christ we bring with loving zeal. The poor and them that mourn, the faint and overborn, sin sick and sorrow worn, whom Christ doth heal. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your great work for us in Jesus Christ, for Jews and Gentiles across all the nations. We praise you for the work that you gave Paul to do for you and that he could be proud of that work because it was for you. And now we know you've also given us work to do in the Gospel Commission, the Great Commission. So enable us also to do the work of Christ as an offering to God filled with gospel ambition so we may also be proud of our work done for you. Lord, use us as you will and when and where. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.